In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and Jesus was with God, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And he created Adam, and he gave him a beautiful garden named Eden. In the garden were beautiful trees, trees that were good for food, and in the garden was the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God made a partner for Adam named Eve. It was so awesome. They walked and talked with God, and they had no shame and no sorrow and no worries, no judgment and no comparison. Maybe Adam had a unibrow. Maybe Eve had ears that stuck way out. Who cared? They didn't have anyone telling them to be different. And God gave them just one rule, just one. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for having me back. My name is Steph Roller, and today we are finishing our series called Upside Down. And in this series, Jesus has shown us that he has turned what we know of the world on its head, making outsiders insiders, the weak strong, and the small big. And all of those teachings challenged what we think we know. But today, Jesus is going to teach us the biggest upside-down truth of all, a truth that should set us free but one that we are so bad at understanding or following that we often end up imprisoning ourselves by the very truth designed to give us freedom. And talking about this today is going to challenge us, maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable or squirm a little bit, but in the end, I hope that it makes us feel included, big, strong, and loved. So let's get ourselves in the frame of mind to learn some really tough stuff, but while we do that, Let's laugh at ourselves a little bit, and if you can't laugh at yourselves, just laugh at me. I always do. So what is this final upside-down truth? Love is the new law. Love is the new rule. Love is the greatest commandment. So important that Jesus himself stepped out of heaven to show us all about it, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You're going to have to wait a second for that part. So back to Adam and Eve. You've got one rule, guys. You've got one job, as we football fans like to say to the kicker that just missed a field goal. One job. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You think you could follow one rule, right? Before you answer that, before you judge Adam and Eve, I looked up the most commonly broken laws. So I want to ask you, have you ever driven faster than the speed limit? without a seatbelt, or used your cell phone while you're driving? Did you ever have a beer in college before you were 21? Or connected to somebody's unsecured Wi-Fi without their permission? Did you ever play cards at home for money? Even for quarters, that's illegal here. And if you've ever thrown out the junk mail of the tenant before you at an apartment, did you know that's a felony? I feel like we could just have Nate dispatch the uh, sheriff's department and arrest all of us here. So I bet that you did some comparative ranking when I asked you about breaking those rules. And we don't really know how long Adam and Eve did follow the rule of not eating from the tree, do we? Like, was it a hundred years, a thousand, a week? However long it was, they broke it. They ate from the tree. And when they did that, they became aware of the difference between good and bad. 
And that started the human race down the path of spiritual death that we are still on today. Because what happens when you recognize the difference between good and bad? Inevitably, you recognize that you do some good things and some bad things. And everyone else does some good things and some bad things too. But you don't want to be the person doing the most bad, and you'd kind of like to be the person doing the most good. So you start ranking each other, comparing each other, judging each other, becoming jealous. And bingo. This happens right away in the Bible, too, in Genesis chapter 4. Cain got jealous because his brother Abel was doing more good things than he was. And instead of correcting his own behavior, Cain decided it was easier to murder his brother. Get rid of the competition. I mean, don't be shocked. How many times do we tear down others to make ourselves look better? So now the next generation after Adam and Eve, we already have judgment, jealousy, murder, and lying, punishment, guilt, and sorrow. And we humans start ranking our behaviors and ranking who is good, better, and best, and who is bad, worse, and the worst. Was it worse that Cain wasn't giving a good offering, or that he was jealous, or that he murdered his brother, or was it worse that he lied to it about God? Well, when I thought about those rules that I broke, I thought to myself, sure, I speed all the time, but usually just five over, everyone else does that too. It's not like I robbed a bank. So we started to try to make rules and laws to help make sense of where we stood. And we got some rules and laws from God, but we got ourselves into a big mess a big mess of laws and rules and punishments and atonements and sacrifices. And it became so complicated that we had a whole group of people whose job was to interpret and apply these laws and rules and punishments for breaking them. And they were called the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then even those poor people got it all messed up and corrupted and twisted, and the rules and laws got into a bigger mess. Who was good? Who was bad? Which laws could make God happy with me? And if I can't follow the laws, maybe I'll try to bring attention to other people who are doing worse at following them than me. No one could follow them all. No one was without sin. Not one. So I was talking with Kurt Vanderweel, one of our other teachers, about this, and he said the most profound statement about the law that I have ever heard. Law gives us food for our pride, for guilt, for putting others down, for comparison. It moves everything from the heart to the mind. It is the perfect human enabler. Law gives us food for our pride when we're following it, for our guilt when we're not following it, for putting others down when they're not following it, for comparing how we're following it compared to everyone else. It moves everything from the heart to the mind. And in fancy church terms, we call the belief that rules are to be followed as a means of making ourselves acceptable to God legalism. And it's not Jesus' favorite thing, as we'll see. Now, Jeff Mickey reminded me of something important that I want to throw in here. Don't confuse legalism with being devout. Devout means you make a constant and faithful effort to honor and follow and obey Jesus. 
And Jesus wants devout followers. Being committed to Jesus is a good thing. What he doesn't want are followers who make requirements for others, who start comparing who is more devout than someone else, or who make it all about the rules and forget about the importance of relationship. So it's not being legalistic to hold yourself to a standard. That's just being a mature follower of Jesus. It is being legalistic to hold everyone else to the standard that you set. Do you see the difference? So there we were, a bunch of messed up human beings desperately trying to please God by following a bunch of rules and were failing. And then came the Savior, Jesus, the Jesus who created us. He had something to teach us that was so important that he didn't send it down on tablets like he gave Moses. And he didn't send it through a prophet or through a dream or a vision. He stepped down out of heaven himself to tell us the greatest truth of all. Love is the new law. Love is the new rule. Love is the greatest commandment. And so we can trade in trying to follow all those rules and laws and making sacrifices for the times we mess up because Jesus is going to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice in our place. He's going to atone for my mess-ups and my failures and for your mess-ups and your failures. All we have to do is believe it and believe in him. So we've got one rule again. Remember, like back in the garden? How do you think we're going to do with this one rule this time? Well, let's check out what happens. And we're going to start with John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John three seventeen is my life verse. And I have really strong feelings that John three sixteen, the most famous of all Bible verses, should never be separated from it. Because verse 16, which we hear all the time standing alone, nudges us towards legalism. We want to tell people how to act based on that verse sometimes. We are tempted to say to them, well, you must not believe if you don't come to church every week. You must not believe if you don't tithe or if you drink a beer or if you watch an R-rated movie or if you read Harry Potter or, or, or whatever rule we think is important. Verse 17 grounds us again, doesn't it? It reminds us that if Jesus was not sent to condemn, neither should I. Jesus came to save. Let's do our best to not get in the way. So after Jesus gets here and tells us our new one rule, and he tells us the most important commandment is this, love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the laws and commandments stem from this one rule. Love God, love others. Well, that sounds easy, right? Just believe in Jesus and love. I got it. Now, don't panic. I can see some of you out there are panicking. Love, love, 
But Steph, without laws and rules, the whole world would be in total chaos. This cannot be true. No, 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 no. I need order. I need rules. Those laws in the Bible came from God. The Ten Commandments aren't suggestions. How will I know if I'm doing things right if there are not laws? It's okay. I'm a rule follower too. And we're going to be okay here. Just hold on a little bit. Now, I know that some of you are thinking the opposite to that, too. Yes, 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 no rules, baby. I can do anything I want. And Jesus will just be happy if I love. And plus, he'll just forgive me anyway, no matter what I do. So if that's the case, I'm going to smoke and drink and fool around like a North Star CIT. Now, I know half of you don't get that reference. But when I was in junior high school... This movie came out, and it was called Meatballs. It was Bill Murray's very first movie, and it was about a really derelict summer camp. And the camp counselors there just didn't really want to be there. So to get through, they had a theme song that said, and I'm not going to sing for you, that said, we're going to smoke and drink and fool around. That's what they did. And because I could not find a term that meant the opposite of legalism that I could actually pronounce for you guys... I decided to introduce a new term today. We're going to say if our attitude is we can do anything we want, that's a meatball attitude, just for the rest of this talk, okay? So these two polar opposite reactions. No, 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 I need rules. Yes, 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 I can do anything I want. These reactions to the idea that love is our new law is exactly why the church is so divided today. It's why we fight with each other. It's why we have different denominations, to be honest. And this is not what Jesus wanted for us. He wanted us to be unified so badly. It was the last thing he prayed for right before he was arrested and killed. So maybe today we can try to get a little balance back, a little unity. What does it really mean that love is the new law? Do we still have rules? What does love even mean? So let's try to listen with fresh ears about what Jesus actually had to say. So, I'm a rule follower. I am. I want to please. I want to be viewed as good. And I follow rules to the extreme sometimes. Let me give you an example. Here's a picture of a cue. Like the kind you would see in an amusement park, this happens to be at the Louvre. But if you come up to an empty queue, right, you can just slip right up to the front. Because the purpose of a queue is just to help people take turns in line, right? But I get so much anxiety at the idea that I would walk up to the front and just slip under the chain that I would rather walk back and forth through all of the empty rows of the queue instead of risking that someone would be upset with me because I cut in line. What line? There's no people. Anyone else a rule follower like that? So for all of us rule followers, here's a story for you. It's the time when Jesus was accused of breaking a rule. A big one, one of the Ten Commandments, as a matter of fact. And you know what? He did break it. So let's look at Mark 3, 1 through 6. 
Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This story is the perfect example of moving things from the heart to the head. The letter of the law says, don't work on the Sabbath. But the heart of the law says, spend the Sabbath with God. One time I was out working in my garden, and someone yelled at me that I shouldn't be doing that on a Sunday because it was God's day. And what that Pharisee didn't know is that when I work in my garden, I like to talk to God the whole time. So I said, thanks for the reminder, and I went back to my conversation with Jesus. Jesus had only love and pity for those who crucified him, which is amazing. But he had real anger, real anger, for those who used the law to exclude or to condemn other people. How much anger? Well, let's look at Matthew 23, 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And he gets even more harsh in verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Whoa. (laughs) Did Jesus just call the teachers of the law and Pharisees children of hell? Yep, he did. He doesn't like it when we throw laws in people's faces to keep them away from him. Jesus doesn't have a test we have to pass in order to come find him. You don't have to be perfect or even good to have him love you. You just have to believe. No rules, no laws, no special qualifications to get into the kingdom. And for those of us like me who are rule followers, well, we're just going to have to get over it. And besides... I break plenty of rules. (laughs) If you think I'm some kind of saint, you're so wrong and you just don't know me at all. (laughs) So last week, Alice told me, just be yourself when you teach stuff. And two of my friends laughed at me and asked if Alice had ever played cards with me before she said that. The point is, (laughs) we like to follow the rules we like to follow, the ones we think are important. And we like to ignore the rules we want to ignore the ones we don't think are important. And that stings a little bit. But it's just true, isn't it? So, it's pretty clear that Jesus hates legalism. But what about when we have a meatball attitude, like those camp counselors in the movie? I myself can be a meatballer just as much as I can be a legalist. 
Can't we just say, awesome, I'll do whatever I want because Jesus forgives me? Can I ignore the teachings that God gives us through the commandments and the parables and the teachings of Jesus? I don't really like those teachings about loving my enemies or being kind to foreigners or turning the other cheek anyway. And do I really have to be kind to that idiot that cut me off in traffic or put the potatoes on my bread at the grocery store? Can't I do whatever makes me feel good? Sorry, (laughs) but it's not that way either. The reason is found in what Jesus means by love. We tend to think of love as a feeling, a state of happiness, something self-gratifying, a pleasure, a joy. We think of it self-centeredly. I know that's not a real word, but it describes how we feel. Jesus doesn't define love like that. For Jesus, love is an action, a verb. So I pulled some examples for you, but you can find a million more, okay? Let's run through some really fast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3, 16. Jesus came to save the world, John 3, 17. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers, 1 John 3, 16. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 1 John three eighteen. Do you notice the action words? Gave, save, lay down. Love is a verb, an action. It requires us to do something. It's more than a feeling. I think that's a Boston song. From Jesus, we got grace. Grace being that fancy church term for getting something that we didn't deserve. We got forgiveness, and Jesus paid for all of it. It came at the cost of his life. It came at the cost of Jesus stepping out of heaven, away from his Father, to become a small, weak, poor baby. It came at the cost of one of the most horrible ways to die, by crucifixion. Jesus laid down his life for us, friends. Let's not make that grace a cheap entitlement to sinful behavior, behavior that makes us no different than those who don't know Christ. We do know him, and that should change us. Not because we follow rules, but because we follow him, because we love him. Because we know that the grace that we have received cost God everything, everything. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, our lives should pay honor to that cost. Therefore, shouldn't we be marked by his love as much as we are marked by freedom from the law? Shouldn't we be marked by his love as much as we are marked by freedom from the law. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Amen. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, use it to serve one another in love. You... My brothers and sisters were called to be free. 
but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in this single command, love your neighbor as yourself. So no, fellow meatballers, we can't just do anything we want and claim to have love. Living in the love and grace of Jesus means neither devotion to an impossible set of rules, nor does it mean a free-for-all. So how do we live then, Steph? I know. It makes you feel kind of ungrounded a little bit, doesn't it? It sure does me sometimes. But let me help with these closing thoughts. It's really easier than you think. I just have three things I want you to carry away. First of all, Jesus knows that you are going to mess up this one law just like Adam and Eve. And that's why he already paid for you. He loves you enough to make sure he covered you no matter what. So just relax and breathe in that grace. The second thing, remember that the only time Jesus gets really, really angry is when we throw up laws and rules to keep people away from him. So try not to do that. And last, recognize in yourself and in everyone else that as we come to love and know Jesus more and more on our individual journeys, the desire to follow what Jesus teaches, to obey his commandments, will come as a natural result of that relationship. It's not rules first, love second. It's love first, relationship second, and then lives are changed. Everyone is at their own place on that journey. Understand that. So we've got one rule again, just one. Love is the new law. Love is the new rule. Love is the greatest commandment. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, thank you for trying to make things so simple for us and forgive us because we just make it more complicated than it needs to be. Can you just help us see the truth? Can you help us have grace to our neighbors? Help us to love the way you loved. Help us to forgive the way you forgived. Help us to then follow your teachings out of love, not out of obligation. In all things we pray this in your name, amen.